You are listening to the Work in Esports podcast, a podcast where we chat with people who work in various roles around the esports industry and find out about their experiences. From casters to content creators to company founders, we are here to tell their stories. We explore their inspirations, how they got started, gained experience, and so much more. The goal of this podcast is to help provide context and maybe even offer you some practical advice for how you can get started yourself. So if you or someone you know is interested in working in the esports industry, you're in the right place. As a precursor for this episode, I would like to mention that it was recorded pre-pandemic, though is only now being published. Hello, Angela. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. Hey, Spencer. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. Angela is uh, the co-founder of Hurrah. Um, she is a longtime advertising professional, a writer of many things, including uh, Generation Creation, a pretty darn good and funny book that I uh, read recently, uh, finished over the holidays. I highly recommend. And she Thank also you. works with France Esports and Women in Games. And um, yeah, pretty all around solid woman, solid human, and uh, <laughs> and one of my favorite people I've ever met. Honestly, she's uh, wow. The, the, oh my god, I feel so similarly. Thank you, Spencer. That's awesome. I love to hear that. But <laughs> I'm I'm genuine when I say that. I I think your points of view are um, very uh, insightful most of the time, or all the time, really. And the angles and kind of the humor that you bring as well to your little anecdotes um, are incredible. Thank you. Wow. Like this podcast is coming on strong. <laughs> glad, so fast. <laughs> glad, to, glad to bring out these, these emotions straight away. Right. Um, it's like, I feel like my soul just consumed all of that and I'm now just going to briefly glow. Just, just glow for the next, however long. Yeah. You know, just the whole thing. For the next hour. Perfect. <laughs> Um, well, uh, so getting started, uh, can you tell me a bit about like your path? You graduated from university, uh, in 2006 based your LinkedIn, mm -hmm. I think. Um, yeah. what happened next? Did you go straight into advertising or did you do something else along the way? So actually, uh, I was not very good at school. I was one of those people that people at school were really embarrassed to hang out with because I think they'd all worked really hard to be there and they were just really proud of their SAT scores. <laughs> Although now that we've all graduated, um, they seem to have forgotten that, but that's fine. Um, life is just like a Jay-Z song, I guess. Um, so yeah, I kind of, uh, I was having a bit of trouble at Berkeley, so I needed to do something else to kind of just take my mind off of how hard I was finding school, just from a social perspective. Um, and I actually started working in uh, customer support at a startup called uh, driversat.com that offered, it was the first company to offer web traffic school and online driver education. And um, so I'm sure that you've worked in customer support, like everybody's done that. Um, yeah, so you're kind of on the front lines of everything sort of going wrong with, wrong with the service. People actually end up giving a lot of feedback. And, um, and I would take some of the emails with more interesting feedback and I would just make notes on them and just sort of pass them to uh, pass them to the higher ups, if you like. And at some point they were like, hey, do you want to do our marketing? At that time, like the marketing was PPC and SEO um, that they were already doing. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I bought a bunch of books. Um, I optimized their PPC. Like uh, that was that was the, my first time learning about PPC. Yahoo was still uh, was still run by Overture. 
Um, Google Ads was still very, very young. Like every time I logged into AdSense, because they had just like taken that URL from another company that actually bought it first and was running a smaller unrelated company called AdSense. So every time I tapped in AdSense, I would sometimes sort of fall into the original company's site and their snarky little message about how Google stole everything from them. So it was just a really different time in the internet. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I learned about SEO. And uh, little by little, I sort of grew that department. Um, I learned about, a, you know, sort of, it was the early days of blogging. Um, I started doing forum seating and, uh, and I became their marketing director and I started doing um, biz dev for them. And uh, so that actually happened while I was in school. And it impacted what I ended up doing in school because I was studying English. It was not as fun as I thought it would be. And so I switched halfway through to mass communications, which was a, a major that actually it was quite unstructured at the time. I'm not sure it even exists anymore because it's been replaced by something that's a little bit more structured, I think. Um, but you could essentially make it whatever you wanted. So I took a bunch of anthropology and sociology, um, some physics classes and some business classes, and I ended up making something that was sort of like tailor-made to my interests, but also to what I was doing professionally and what I was interested in. And at the same time, um, amidst all of that, I was thinking, well, what else could I do to sort of just test these theories that I'm learning and think about advertising differently? Because marketing is you know, just a really specific, often quite dry, spin on advertising. So I started um, hitting up ad logs and asking if I could write for them for free, which is how I started working at um, AdRance. AdRance was like, hey, like we've never hired a person before. Um, they were the biggest ad blog at the time, like among the oldie ad logs. And um, so they just let me write for them for free for like six months. Um, I was still in school then. And after six months, they were like, you know, maybe we should pay you for this. <laughs> So they started paying me and it turned out that AdRance was part of a larger community of blogs. And uh, one of the blogs in their family was Marketing Vox, which at the time was the biggest digital marketing publication. And um, their editor was going to start another marketing publication. So they trained me for that job. Um, and so toward the end of my schooling, I was you know, a marketing director and I became basically the head editor of these two publications that were advertising oriented and digital marketing oriented. Um, and then obviously this got really hard to sustain. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, like you've been in freelance, you know what that's like. Mm. Um, so I graduated and, uh, and I ultimately ended up leaving the company. Um, I, le I left Driver's Ed and, uh, and I just did a, did, blogging, like a, just writing about, well, I don't know, blogging like on, online journalism um, for the next year or so. And then it didn't quite matter where I lived. I kind of wanted to go to Paris already, but um, I was sort of scared. So I ended up jumping halfway to New York instead. And, um, and I stayed there a year, uh, spent a year doing the conference circuits. At that time, conferences didn't really understand social yet. So the ad tech conference, which had a bunch of advertising conferences throughout the US all year long and also in Europe, um, they contracted AdRance to sort of build a staple of bloggers and do their live tweeting and do their, you know, like do awards announcements, et cetera. Mm. Um, so I started working with AdRance, like just building that business and uh, just traveling around the country with, um, with ad tech. And then uh, the one show asked me to do it for a while. 
there were a couple of other sort of small conferences that I did that for, like just really in the early days of blogging and community management. And with all of that, that was actually what enabled me to make the jump into Europe because I didn't have to penetrate the French workforce. I already had work. It didn't really matter where I was writing. Um, and there were ad techs there as well that we were not covering. So, so I jumped to France. I thought like, I'll stay for three months on the Schengen visa or I'll stay for a year. I don't know, who knows, we'll see. And, um, and when I got there, the market collapsed in the US. <laughs> So, so all of my publications fired me. Um, wow. Yeah, I remember one of them actually, people are shitty to you when you're young. Like they're really impressed by you for a while and then they're like shitty to you when they get rid of you. Mm. Um, one of them uh, on the call with me to fire me, he was like, you know, it's not a big deal, right? Like you can just move back in with your parents. And I was like, I just moved across the country, dude. Oof, <laughs> like across wow. country, across the world. Like my parents are not like down the street. I'm kind of thinking like, what am I going to do for my life now? Like maybe I'll just like sell my body and die of syphilis. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I actually briefly contemplated that. And I told my mom and she just laughed and she was like, you're not the kind, which sent me down the spiral of like, what kind of person like, ends up selling her body and dying of syphilis. I don't know, I still don't know the answer to that. So if you find out someday, you can tell me. Um, sorry, is this like kind of like a long answer? I feel like- No, it's, it's a good answer. I, I appreciate it. And uh, if, if I ever figured that out, like what kind of person that is that, that um, sells yeah. her body and dies of syphilis, then I will let you know. Yes, please let's have a separate discussion about that at some point. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but actually I really lucked out because um, because blogging and advertising and also just sort of the universe of community management in France was not that sophisticated yet. So it turned out that all of the agencies and the ad people had been reading my publications. So they were like, hey, we'll help you out. Like, what do you want to do? Um, and before I knew it, I was writing for their blogs. They wanted to start English language blogs. I started writing for the Vankson blog. Vankson was a like it's like a really good independent agency here. Um, French Web, which is like sort of like TechCrunch in France, um, they wanted to start an English edition. So I started writing for them. And then little by little, I started working with agencies doing strategy and you know building out social media strategies. I started doing stuff with other conferences, notably with Reed Needham. Um, when I started working with Reed Needham, that's one of like my longest client relationships. Like we just, as you know, we built Esports Bar together mm. through Hurrah. Um, they, uh, they pulled me onto their TV conferences and there was just like social didn't exist. You know, there was one guy who was tweeting some random dude and, uh, and nobody was talking about those conferences online. So, so I was actually like one of two bloggers that they, that they hired to sort of live blog and live tweet the show and, you know, any associated awards and ceremonies. Um, I started doing that for can lines as well, can lines as well. And, uh, and just little by little, I built a, I built kind of a world um, in Paris, which, you know, as you know, like, that's what you're doing in Berlin. Um, and later on, I, uh, I started working at this uh, small entertainment agency called Darwin. I helped them sort of build it up, like make it a little bit more international. Um, and that's actually where I met Matthew, who's my current business partner at Hurrah. He was the planner there. And I was doing um, international operations and international account management. And, uh, and we just like, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about esports. It was something that um, he's really passionate about. 
And it's something that I started paying attention to because every once in a while at a conference, somebody would like talk about esports and bust out with some weird stats. And I'd be like, I don't know, it's, it, 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 it just seems stunning to me um, to be sort of watching this grow like off to the side and nobody really understood what it was. And it was always just kind of in my mind. And um, it was notably in my mind because there was a guy who just for funsies while I was in college, he asked me to help him build like, like a halo marketing strategy, like for a public land that he wanted to build. And so we spent a year doing that. And I was kind of like, you know, I just wanted to find opportunities to flex my skills. I didn't really know or care what this was. And, you know, it was that the problems were interesting. And uh, he never really followed up with me about what happened with it, but he ended up working at Microsoft. Like he just recently left. He's been there. <laughs> he had been there ever since. Wow. Yeah. So, so it was just always sort of on my mind. And um, at Darwin, Matthew was talking to me about it. He pitched it to Darwin. Like, what do you think? Like, do you think we could launch an esports department? Because we we just we were like, this is growing. Um, between tournaments, there's like this weird timer. For 15 minutes and there's no ads um, and we knew that it was people our age you know people like us like my husband plays a ton I would watch twitch sometimes it was just like it's weird you know um, Darwin was kind of like you know in like in typical startup fashion yeah totally like if you have time around like you're already very busy schedule um, to build that out yeah feel free <laughs> it was just kind of like Oh, that seems kind of hard. Um, <laughs> here's no, here's no resources, but it's a great idea. Yeah, like feel free. Yeah, totally. Um, so Matthew decided to leave. Um, so he left, and and eventually I left. And I, I remember it was during my going away party. Actually, I got very drunk, and um, he sort of pulled me aside, and he was like, "I want to talk to you." And he pulled me to this like dark table. And he literally, like, this is what he'd been doing during his his unemployment. He literally, like, he whipped out his computer and he had this, like, complete business presentation of, like, the business model mm. <laughs> of, uh, of an esports agency. And he was like, this is what I've been working on, you know? Like, we're going to, I think that it would be, it would make sense, like, to educate non-endemic clients, blah, 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 and, like, talk to them about what the sector is. And obviously, sometimes France can be a little bit slower in terms of adoption, so it's probably going to take some time. We're not going to make money right away. And uh, I was just like, I don't know, dude. I was super drunk. It seemed like it was riding a wave, like it felt right. I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, just like, sign the papers you know? right then. Yeah, but, like, I don't know. To his credit, Matsu was like, I don't know, you seem kind of inebriated right now. Um, <laughs> let's get together in a week. And if you say yes, again, like in a week, um, let's do it together. So uh, so he did. Um, and then we did. And then after that, we were just sort of like lying around in each other's houses talking about like, how are we going to make this thing? Uh, those were actually really instructive conversations because we were just sort of blue skying, like what's important to us in terms of values at this company. That's like when we started talking about things like um, diversity and sort of opening esports up to the mainstream, like those really, those conversations that are now big themes in esports today, like that people are working really hard to grapple with and which you know are big themes inside the agency, gatekeeping, et cetera. Yeah. Um, we were having those conversations really early on because we didn't really have anything else to do at that time. Um, so like, so we just sort of like set the stage for what we would care about, like what would matter to us in terms of just making this sort of a fulfilling adventure. And then, uh, and then we launched a press release and then we were trying to like, 
have meetings with people, but you know what that's like, that's really tricky. And then like the press release went out and nothing happened. Um, like three months went, like, went by, Christmas went by, um, nothing. And I was kind of thinking, I don't know what's gonna happen. My accountant was kind of going, you know, sometimes you need to know when it's time to stop stuff. Like, you know, like if it doesn't happen, that's okay. Like businesses fail all the time, it's not a big deal. And, um, and uh, yeah, and then in January, I think, January or February, um, some publication, like a French video game publication actually just picked up our press release and published it publicly. And then we had like all kinds of news and um and our first uh like gender our first gender scandal like i was so stressed because i was like we talked about this how did this happen because um in our press release we were talking about sort of the the composition of esports like um mm. okay so currently it's like 70 percent men 30 percent women blah 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 like it was just like you know a talking point among other talking points and um somebody who was actually really influential in um in a in a woman in gaming group hit me up and she was like hey i just read about this seems really discriminatory um but before i put you on blast i just wanted to understand why you said this and i was like no like we're gonna die um but we actually ended up having a good conversation we talked about the numbers we talked about where the numbers came from um why we expressed them that way um, and also like what was important to us. And she was like, oh, it's actually really cool. Um, Join my women in gaming group. And I was just like, Phew. oh my God. Um, but yeah, and after that, like we started taking meetings and the rest was like kind of history. And the surprising thing is, um, you know, we were ready for this to be a long haul, like a really long educational haul, like educating um, the European market about social, for example, took a really long time. It just took so long when I first arrived. Um, and then one day they got it and they went, but it was just like years. I'd already been around for years, you know. Um, but esports was literally like, it was kind of amazing because um, I think, you know, France and Germany are just way ahead of the curve, like m much further than the US, for example. Mm. Um, and yeah, like we're talking to some like really conservative French companies. They were doing what we were expecting, like their standard nods, like, I get it, interesting, okay, um, we'll see. And then we were expecting to like not hear from them again for like two years. And then like a few months later, it was just like, okay, let's go. And then like a bunch of international people hit like hit us up and they were like, hey, like we really need an agency for stuff. And um, our first and like our first uh, client was international. So we were international right away. It was straight from Sweden. We're still working with them, still do their media buying and their creative. And uh and yeah, our second client was French and also international. I can't I can't remember if it was like Reed Needham or if it was Nestle. I had worked with Nestle before. Nestle is historically really, really slow as well. So I was quite shocked by how quickly they were just like, okay, esports, we get it, let's go. <laughs> we're, we're just like, oh my God. Um, and suddenly we were like, we were building a team. Like we were interviewing people like in these restaurants sort of furtively, we, we kind of felt like, imposters like okay like you seem like a good fit come with us to our office and it was like my house <laughs> yeah and they'd look around and be like um okay cool uh it was just and that was kind of like how it was until we could you know like sort of like get office it was just it was you know and here we are that was what four and a half almost five years ago now and uh, we're almost 20 people and it's just yeah turned out okay like I don't think like we were expecting it not to or that we were especially expecting to be here but like it's 
you know, it's been kind of like a weird ride. I don't know. That's sort of like a long answer to your question. So. I mean, it is a long answer, but it's also exactly what I was looking for. Like, it's, I mean, it's all about, you know, your story and it's, it's quite interesting where you, where you started versus where you are now. Um, yeah. How would you, like, how do you describe your, your role now? Like you, you've talked a lot about how, you know, you kind of built up the company, you set, put the framework uh, in place and, um, and now like kind of how do you define your role and like, what does maybe a, a normal day look like for you or a normal week or something? Okay, this is an interesting question. Um, so the way that, so I come from tech and the startup worlds also in the US. Um, so the way that I tend to understand like just sort of an ideal startup situation is um, you're just small for a long time. So you're finding um, just a couple of people to partnership that have complementary um, skills so that basically you guys can do anything and be anything with a very small number of people. Um, me and Matthew, had a complementary skill set, but not in a traditional sense. Um, Matthew is a planner. I've also done planning, but we had just, we were approaching things in a really different way. And I think that that's where our complementary nature has really came in. Matthew really likes um, granular things. He likes being like really like fists in the dirt with the creative, with the teams. Um, he likes knowing every little detail about stuff that's going on. And, uh, and I'm very, very big picture. So um, I want to understand what's happening with um, with PR, with kind of like the general context of the sector, like uh, like what are people saying um, in our local communities? What are what are larger communities saying? You know, like how are the evolution of games going, and how is that impacting the sector? Because as you know, uh, esports is um, disproportionately impacted by IP challenges. <laughs> um, so uh, so I spent a lot of time thinking about a. Uh, those bigger things and also about the future. So what happened was a uh, really early on, Matthew would be, and also like he would just be doing a lot more of the creative, like on the ground stuff, like uh, doing the, like the media buys and helping people with the media buys. I would help out with uh, the copywriting, but I was also, um, I started uh, I started sort of like building the financial structure of the company and uh, and also thinking about how the company would be positioned, right? Like, so thinking about those larger um, PR sort of responsibilities, because I remembered at Darwin, so much of our initial business came from PR, like PR is really important. And um, just like a funny little tip, even if you're a small company, um, nobody actually knows that. So if you have some advertising experience, like if you can build something that looks like pretty slick, um, and you have a good way of telling a story, like a good sort of meaty way of telling um, your story. Um, nobody knows any different from a company that launched five years ago. That can often make um, a lot of the difference. Um, and then the rest of it is like when people talk to you, even if you're a young company, do they believe in you? Do they trust you? Are you making sense to them? So, so that was a lot of what we were doing at Outset. Um, now, the way that things go, we, we actually launched a sort of circular <clears throat> business structure on the inside of the company, um, like a sociocratic structure, where sort of different pods of the company function as separate businesses that revolve around various client interests. Um, so we spent about a year last year putting that into place, like uh, so me and Matthew just sort of building that out and executing it and just kind of like optimizing it and uh and now it's kind of like uh essentially what i'm doing now is managing just the larger operations so um just making sure that you know like the agency is well oiled 
Um, in terms of morale, we're okay. Like in terms of the types of talent that we have, we're okay. But we have a but that we also have like an interesting and diverse framework and community um, that we're that we're sort of like on top of you know just the waves of new things that are happening in the culture um, because that's really important. Esports can be really insular. Um, agencies, if you're not paying attention, generally speaking, can get really insular in terms of what people are interested in. So you have to kind of make sure that you're constantly nourishing it. Like that's one of my bigger challenges. And uh, and also it's thinking about Hurrah's exterior interests and impact on the community. So like you mentioned earlier, I do a lot of work with uh, um, Women in Games, the Women in Games in the UK, which, which sort of launched the brand Women in Games. Um, we helped to uh, build their esports strategy and are just sort of um, sort of just helping them navigate this world and define a way of being and sort of helping esports structure from an ethical perspective. That's what I'm doing with Women in Games, and um, and with France Esports, which is the uh, the French esports lobby. Um, France Esports is quite fortunate and interesting in the sense that. Um, it's quite well structured compared to other esports lobbies in other countries. Like it's it, it's very nicely representative of different kinds of esports actors. It's basically it's basically pillared on three colleges. You have the College of Players, um, the College of Promoters, and the College of Publishers. So you know, like different esports interests are really sort of nicely balanced. Um, and I help them with a with sort of international relations, so sort of a building bridges between French esports companies that are that are trying to like structure themselves outside of the country, and also international companies that are trying to understand um, how to interact with the scene inside France. So, so it's kind of like what my day to day looks like. It's kind of it's pretty uh it's pretty unpredictable and sort of like a mishmash of interests that mix like local agency interests with sort of the larger interests of the sector. Um, but that's also like how I like it. That's, a, that's something that makes sense to me. And, uh, and I still write about advertising, obviously. I write for a publication called Muse by Clio. I try to file a few articles um, a week because I also think it's good to just do something that's not necessarily related to your day-to-day -day work. It's good for your brain. So, yeah. Yeah, stay on your toes, definitely. Yeah, exactly. What are uh, what are some of the skills that you utilize like on a daily basis? Hmm. Uh, a lot of crisis management. Most of the things that I'm not the person that people see at the company every day. Uh, Matthew is that person. Like he's very much the person that people are just. He's in front of people all the time. Um, I'm the person that people come to um, when a major decision needs to be made. Um, that's not to say that he's not like Matthew also makes a lot of major decisions, but um, in terms of like existential decisions about like the vision of something or like something really critical has happened, like particularly on an international scale with a client, um, I'm that person. Uh, companies are also a mismatch of interests. Like uh, people are constantly sort of like, you know, do I want to move up? Do I want to move horizontally? Um, I have, uh, like, I'm starting to become interested in different kinds of things. I'm starting to want to, like, build a family. How do I balance, like, you know, what's happening in my private life with my, you know, with my professional life? Like, um, finding ways to systematize that in the company and sort of make it so that we have, we have adequate ways of solving those problems, I think, is among my skill sets. Basically, 
I think that the major thing that people come to me for is like taking things that don't necessarily have simple answers. Um, and sometimes a lot of problems sort of go together in ways that people are not expecting and just finding ways to systematize them. Because when you're a young company, the tendency is that um, you're putting out fires all the time and um, people are jury rigging solutions. You know, they're sort of like taping, so like, you know, sort of solutions to the problem. And uh, that's not sustainable from a long-term perspective. Um, one thing that me and Matsu discuss a lot is that uh, we consider it a failure if uh, ultimately like one of us leaves or one of us dies or maybe both of us leave or die, <laughs> like who knows? Yes. Um, and the company cannot stand up. Like uh, personally, I find it, this is gonna sound really shitty. I find it a little egotistical and a total failure how much Apple relied on the persona of Steve Jobs. Like the fact that my Mac hardware is a little bit shittier than when he was alive and the software just keeps getting progressively more and more shitty and less and less intuitive. Like, I think that that's his personal failing. Um, I know that that's not fair. And I also know he's dead. It was really awkward, um, but, but I think that, um, I think that being able to transmit your knowledge and make sure that you can delegate and make sure that people are sort of like catching onto your philosophy and learning how to understand you. Um, and also, you know, reuse that and make sure that that lives on past you, like so that they can become independent. I think that's really critical to being a leader. Um, and we tell this to everybody at the company, like if you are indispensable to the company, you're not doing your job. Like, and that's also, that's also the case for us. Um, so most of, um, most of what I do from a day-to-day -day basis is just try to find a way to get things to work automatically. And, you know, that, that challenge changes all the time because an agency is like a living organism. It's composed of people who are doing just all kinds of crazy stuff all the time. And they come in with like bad moods or something weird just happened that they weren't prepared for. And then you have to um, adjust again and again. So it's kind of like, I would say that my biggest skill set is just, um, being a really good listener and also uh, teaching people how to think in a way that's sort of long-term and sustainable, like that, so that they trust themselves. Because often when people are coming to their leadership, um, sometimes they come for a vision, not that often. Um, mostly they're coming for validation on a solution that they already know is right. And I think most of being a leader is sort of just being like, you know what, you already know, like you've thought this through, you don't need my help actually. Um, yeah, so I don't know if that's a useful answer. I feel like all of my answers are sort of like long-winded. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what a podcast is for though, right? I mean, this is, we're here chatting about these things. I think all the, the ideas that you're, you're bringing to the table are, are really good. I really like that, that point you just made though, about, um, people coming to you with questions and usually, uh, they have the right answer already. Um, they're just kind of want that confirmation or they want that validation and that's yeah. something that's something that I myself have honestly uh noticed in myself like I find really? myself um like trying to get confirmation from people uh for various work or like you know to get them to get their thoughts on something before uh before it officially goes out or this or that but um really I know like I know in my head or my heart that it is the right decision or it's the right it looks good. It is ready to go. But for some reason, just having that sort of added validation 
I don't know if that's like a human, is that just like a general human trait or is that something that's, uh, maybe it's just something that I uh, consider very greatly. But I've try, been trying to like take a step back and, and kind of encourage myself to to trust myself more and... Yeah, no, and, I think that's a good exercise. Yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. Actually, somebody at work brought this up a couple of years ago, and I never forgot it. It's something, um, actually, there, there's a phrase for what you're describing, but I'm going to ruin it because I've totally, this is not what it is, um, but I don't know. It's not far. It's something called um, the rubber duck theory. It's basically this idea that, um, that sometimes you just need somebody to talk to because the way that your brain learns is by talking about something. Some people are learning something for the first time or people don't totally understand something like they're suffering from cognitive dissonance. They tell stories and they talk about it over and over and over. Um, and that's because their brain is trying to sort of make sense of what's happening. Yeah. Um, so often people just want to talk to somebody about um, like not not even about the process in their minds, but so that they can kick off the process in their minds. And it turns out that they don't actually have to even be talking to a person. They could be talking to a rubber duck. It doesn't really matter. Um, the person who, who figured this out, if I recall correctly, he did, he did figure it out by actually talking, just talking to a rubber duck and finding that it worked the same way. Like you just need something to focus on and you just start talking to it. <laughs> and the effect is the same. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm going to read, I'm going to read up on that, I think. And, uh, yeah. But that, I recall what I just said, but it's basically, yeah, something related to rubber ducks. <laughs> interesting. And that's, that's something that I've kind of, uh, kind of realized, uh, the kind of neediness or seeking, uh, validation from others. It's something I've kind of learned in the last year or two about myself. Um, and a lot of it has to do with, I think just the, the work, uh, structures or, or the company structures that I've worked in previously, it was almost always, I had to like get validation from people for things. But as I've kind of grown into f move towards freelance and I, you know, working for companies that, Hey, you're doing, uh, you know, more varied things, but you need to be able to manage your own load and, you know, organize yourself. It's not as important to get validation for everything. Um, but it's something I kind of learned more recently. Um, is there something that you've kind of learned in like the last year or two, something that sticks out to you? Yeah, actually, I was thinking about this recently. Hold on. But I have to think about it now because it's not like in my mind immediately. Do you mind if I take a minute to think? I know it's like a weird thing to ask. No, me. go for it. I can, I can, we'll fast forward this break. Yeah, you should also probably fast forward. Hold on one sec. I actually have, um, I do this thing, you know, the note taking feature in your phone. Mm-hmm. I, uh, so every year I, uh, I make a separate note, like for the year and I just sort of like outline the months, you know, January, February, March, whatever. Um, cause you know how the brain, I don't know if you know this, you probably do. Cause it's like, I don't know. I feel like everybody knows this. Um, the brain just has a tendency to remember more negative things than positive things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, at the end of the year, people often have a tendency to be like, wow, what a shitty year. Like, I hope next year is great. Um, so to sort of train myself, not necessarily to not do that, but to sort of, you know, to, to remind myself that that's not reality, just like as I'm going through life or about the day or whatever, um, when something really nice happens to me, like, and it doesn't have to be like, you know, it could be like, we won this great client pitch or 
we moved offices, but it could also be like, I visited this place and I've never been there. Or, you know, like I finally said no to this thing that I always had trouble saying no to. Like it could be something like that, doesn't matter. Um, I just note it under the month. And, uh, and then at the end of like, at the end of the year, I just sort of review all of, you know, those nice things that happened over the course of the year. And often, um, I've learned a lot of stuff, you know, that's really introspective. I, I really like that. Um, yeah, I, I, I've done a pretty good job of journaling different things, uh, and different, I guess, feelings and over the years, but that is, that is, uh, something that I might try to do as well. Cause I do find that when. Um, there have been times in my life where I felt emotionally in the moment, like very caught up in, in my own emotions and, um, and just, it's hard to see yourself out of that. And the only way that I've kind of been able to, to kind of see myself out of those situations was to like, stop for a second, open my phone or, you know, get it out a piece of paper and just write down the positive things that are, that are going on or that are around me. Or say it's in a relationship and I'm going through like something tough um, with with mm-hmm. you know my partner or whatever, then I'll just write out all the positive things I like about them or the things that we did earlier in the day that were you know that were positive. And That's then great. It kind of helps me move past like this this negative because when you when you caught up, it's all like it's all you know like it's your yeah b- your body like it's building like, a case exactly it's like it's like oh it's evidence of more of that thing yeah <laughs> absolutely it's all like it's all chemical and you know and it, you don't necessarily have the the conscious um ability to just flush out the, the 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 instincts or whatever you're feeling in that moment um so having that like list of things that you know you're positive that are positive i think is is has benefited me and the way that you put it, you know, being able to do that monthly, I think is a, is a very significant and um, important thing. Yeah. It could help a lot. Thank you. Okay. I found my thing. I found my thing. Um, so this is actually something that I just, I just worked out really recently and it's tied to a couple of other things that I also re- realized, like I would say just in the last six months. Um, the first thing is um, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you should do it. Um, I think pe- people have this fantasy about like, I don't know, about being paid just for being themselves. And, um, and they sort of project that onto you like, oh, you're so good at this. So you should keep doing it. And you're so lucky. You don't realize how lucky you are because you're paid to do this thing. That's like, obviously so easy for you. Um, or it could be something really simple, like, a like I'm really good at writing, for example. So so the tendency in the agency is that I'll just have this sort of like nitpicky tendency to start poking around and all of the stuff in the agency that's been written in English and just sort of, you know, just sort of insidiously going, I'm going to rewrite this just real quick. Um, and, uh, and your life just gets sort of colonized by all of this stuff that uh, either isn't necessary um, or is just sort of like, a distraction like almost like a tick like I don't think I need to correct all of the English in all of the agency also we have a lot of English speakers now so like it really doesn't matter it literally does not matter at all <laughs> mm. me being like picky um and also um but it also like I feel like this thing also matters in a macro sense because people will talk to you a lot about it in your career like they will they will sort of like tell you what you should be doing in your life or what they can absolutely see you doing um, that you should totally do. You're just really blind right now because you don't see how talented you are and how it's totally just true love, you know? Um, and, uh, and I think that we end up going down these 
stupid rabbit holes um, that people ask us to go down. And often it's true, you know, like something is really easy for you to do um, and you do it. But, you know, when something is easy for you, that probably also means like it's monotonous, you don't feel challenged. Um, you respect it less and less, like the more that you do it. Um, and uh, like, I just don't think that's a, a thing that you should build your, your life around. Like, oh, it's really easy for me to do. So I guess I'll just do that. Like, even if lots of people can't do it and lots of people envy you, I don't think um, you should, unless you want to, which is also a totally valid life choice. Um, along with that, I also realized that um, there are generally two reasons to do something. There's the external reason, like it's a, a social reason. Um, so it could be for this reason, like lots of people think that you should do it. It could be because, um, you think it'll be really good for your career, which is just a, a more speculative way of saying lots of people probably think you should do it. <laughs> it could be because like your parents really wanted you to do this, whatever. There's always like an external social reason to do something. And there's an internal, an internal reason. Um, which is why you're really doing it and whether you actually want to. Um, and, uh, and I've learned recently that, um, that the second reason is a lot more important and it's mostly just ignored. Like it's, it's totally ignored. And I think, um, I think a, a lot of what I've been trying to do in the last, yeah, in the last six months or so is try to understand um, what I actually want to do and what I actually care about doing, like what actually, gives me life on a day-to-day -day basis instead of just sort of treating my time as if it's real estate and filling it up with all kinds of stuff that is not necessarily very important. Um, but what I'm finding on this funny little road, I guess, is that um, most people don't actually know anything about what they want. Like it's, we're living in cultural structures that make it really hard for us to trust and to listen to ourselves um, and a couple of the effects are that one, it's hard to know what you would do if nobody was talking to you all the time. Like it's hard to know what you would naturally gravitate toward, which I think is very dangerous from a career perspective. Um, and two, this also has physical and emotional effects. Um, I think one of the reasons why we have so much burnout, et cetera, is because, uh, for example, I don't notice that my body is in distress until I'm in like a lot of severe pain. And I think that that's quite common as well. So like, I don't know, you're an athlete. So maybe you can identify last year. I went to the doctor cause like I had this like back pain. It was kind of annoying for a while. Um, and then one morning I couldn't get up. And then I realized that uh, the back pain was tied to like this neck pain that made it like, so I couldn't really turn my head and that that like mm. neck pain was also like sort of drifting down one of my arms so so I couldn't really you know I had this hand that was sort of like I don't know it was being sort of like rigor mortisy and I was sort of freaked out and uh, so I was telling the doctor and um and I was like you know I I I feel like I sound like a hypochondriac you know like I have all these like weird pains um and I don't know what they are and uh, he was just sort of like you know like poking around my body and he was like um he was like, nope, you're totally right. Like you have a cyst in your wrist. Um, you have a clearly a pinched nerve in your neck. There's like a thing going on here in your back. These things are all connected. You must have been in pain for a really long time. Like it's very surprising that you're just finding this out now. And, um, and then he was like, you know, all of this pain is consistent. Um, like if you just noticed all of it right now, um, 
it's consistent with severe physical trauma. Like, have you had like a car accident recently? <laughs> or like, have you fallen down the stairs? And uh, I was like, no, none of those things. And he was like, well, if this is all stress related, one, that's really worrying. And two, you must have noticed it building for a long time. Like, it's just, and that's the thing I hadn't, you know, I hadn't until it was really severe. And, uh, and I think that that's quite common. Like, I think that we're so used to not listening to ourselves and not checking in because we're just doing stuff all the time um, that, uh, that sometimes like your body has to sort of just sort of collapse in on itself before you, before you realize, or sometimes you have a, and this happens spiritually as well. Sometimes you have a midlife crisis and something inside you collapses in on itself before you're like, Oh fuck. Like I've been doing all kinds of stuff that I've never wanted to do ever. And like my whole life is gone now. <laughs> so, so yeah, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you should do it. And, um, and do things because you really want to do things. Don't do them for the social reasons, but that's actually quite hard. It's hard to know. Yeah, it really is. Um, wow. Can you tell me about like a sacrifice you you've made, uh, in your professional or your personal life to make your professional life better. Like in this case, it seems like, you know, you put your health on the back burner, but that's not uncommon at all. I'd say like, which is terrible to hear, but yeah. <laughs> um, like it's something that I've certainly done. And uh, honestly, like I, ha I have certain things that, I, you know, I'm like, Oh, I should get that checked out. And I've been saying that for the last couple of years. So, uh, right. you know, like one of these days I'll, I'll finally get that done. But would you say that your health is like one of those things you've kind of sacrificed then to kind of, help your career or it's just something that you didn't even like in this case it seems like you didn't even notice like because with the pain obviously it didn't hit until like when it all hit yeah um yeah I would say that health is a big one sleep is a big one statistically entrepreneurs tend to get depressed more often um which again makes sleep really important like honestly like I really love that Elon Musk is talking about depression dude needs to sleep dude super needs to sleep dude like Elon Musk is like not sleeping. <laughs> yeah, like I can't imagine when that guy actually sleeps. Yeah, and he sort of brags about it as well. Like he does like 20 hour days. It's just like, dude. And uh -huh. he's been doing it for 20 years. Yeah, he's, he's also like a really bad delegator. Like I really admire what he does. I'm just kind of like, there's so much, I don't know, you know, like you don't need everything to rely on you that way. It's, it's super dangerous. So that's something that I think about a lot. Um, he did say something though that's related to your question which is that a starting a company is like jumping off a cliff and eating glass at the same time um it's like jumping off a cliff because you don't know what's going to happen and you know what's going to happen is not necessarily great you know you literally like you just jump off a cliff and who knows um and it's like eating glass because you typically start a company um to solve problems and, uh, and your life becomes about solving problems every day, but not the problems that you set out to solve. And actually, you also discover that the problems that you set out to solve are also there for reasons that you did not see before. Um, so starting a company, like it involves a lot of like interesting and weird compromises that were not necessarily very transparent um, when I uh, when I set out on this adventure, just sort of drunkenly going, OK. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I would say health is a big one. Um, the need to prioritize has become a, like a really big deal to me. Um, there was a guy who said something that I haven't forgotten. He basically said, um, you have to work really hard to make sure that your company doesn't end up doing everything um, because there's going to be like waves of stuff that's cool 
and um and competitors doing all kinds of like interesting stuff and that's how you end up like dividing energy you know you end up dividing your own energy you divide the energy of your teams you divide their interests and suddenly you find that like you're super spread out and nobody knows what they're doing anymore like that's how you kill a company from the inside mm. um so so a lot of my time is spent trying to find things to say no to you know and often it's like fun things or things that people would like and would appreciate um just in the interest of making sure that um over the long term um everybody is safe and we all know where we're going um and in relation to that i think um one of the things that i personally found really hard to sacrifice is that a uh, you you discover when you become an employer um that your employees actually have an interest in not seeing your point of view um so <laughs> how do i describe this so everybody wants to do well um i want to do well you want to do well like everybody wants to do well um our employees want to do well um but in order for everybody to do well um the company always has to be doing just a little bit better and in that space between everybody doing well and the company doing a little bit better is a just a lot of gray area for people to be wondering are they getting fucked you know and also the company on top thinking um where can i cut you know there's a sort of tension um in that gray area and uh and people sort of like when you're in leadership um they see every opportunity with you as an opportunity to sort of hedge and to advocate for themselves like and for additional things that they want and things that they suspect other people are getting or things that they know other people in other companies are getting you know whatever like for really good reasons or sometimes really silly reasons it doesn't matter um everybody has the right to advocate that way i definitely did that um and it becomes your job to to listen to those things and to weigh them um and sometimes people will blame you when things um are not necessarily going their way like they'll take advantage of you know not getting a certain outcome to to sort of imply something about you or your failures and um and uh one of i think the frustrating things about leadership i'm not going to say like i don't want to sound like i feel like i'm especially noble that i do this i i personally find it very frustrating is um there's all kinds of things that you can't say um there's like you know when somebody goes well um i guess i you know like i guess i didn't get that raise because my like i'm just not appreciated <laughs> as a person like um well that's terrible but i guess i'm just going to have to live with it um you can't say you know what i killed myself like we killed ourselves thinking about giving you a raise and we really wanted to um but we couldn't because uh we haven't won anything in a long time and actually you sabotaged the last thing that we could have won so thanks for that and also um i recognize that you like want to buy a house etc like i think that's really cool i would also like to do that someday um when the company's not doing well and when we don't have things like uh like i take out of my savings to make sure that you're paid you know like you can't say that <laughs> right and, you know like sometimes actually my life sucks because of you and i just can't tell you that so yeah go ahead like like hit me with your stuff about like yeah like this is happening because i just don't feel like it because 
you know, I just want you to know that you're my slave. Like, you know, like it's, um, <laughs> yeah. you, you just have to kind of sit there and take it and sort of be like, and recognize that um, people have an interest in not identifying with their employers and that's fine, that's okay. But one of the, one of the things that happens to you, like one of the sacrifices I would say that you make when you're an employer is um, it's one of those things like if the company does well, if the company fails, um, it's always your fault. Every morning is another opportunity for it to not do well, like for the whole ship to sink. You think about that all the time every day. Most people think that the company is fine. You're probably rich. (laughs) 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 And and no, you wake up every day and you're just like, this day it all goes to shit, you know, like, uh, you know, and it's really scary. You get used to it, obviously, but it's not something that you can express because you just keep, you'd freak people out constantly. And, um, and when, yeah, like when people like get that opportunity to sort of like get their pokers in, um, sometimes you just have to like, okay, yeah, yeah, I guess I'm really sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, just sit back and these, take it. Yeah, you have all these like terrible thoughts in your mind, um, but you can't do anything. You just kind of have to roll with it. It's not their fault. They don't know, and you didn't know before you became an employer. And, uh, and this also has like sort of like weird effects on your friendships. So, um, actually, there was a, there was a night that, a the, the building that we were in before the the building that we're currently in, um, it was like a really fancy place. Um, I remember when we first came in, it was sort of like a too good to be true kind of situation. Like the rent was really cheap. It was gorgeous, like a really nice part of the city. And uh, when we first came in, all of us, um, one of our one of our colleagues like looked around and he was like, whoa, we're not supposed to be here. <laughs> Should have taken that as a sign. Um, it turned out like a few months later, um, Matty was in Cuba, so he was kind of like not available to talk. Um, a few months later, like uh, you know, the the owners of that apartment building um, sent a, I forget what this is called, like um, it's not a bounty hunter, but like sent somebody like you know a person to like kind of like get you off the premises. Oh, um, what? What is this? What is this? Called? I don't, I, I don't even know. Like somebody, I've never, I've never heard of that actually. Okay, yeah, well, they sent somebody um, to be like, look, you guys haven't paid your rent for, like, what, three months? Like, so you're cute? Get the fuck out of our building. And we were just like, what are you talking about? Like, of course we've been paying our rent. So um, so, uh, so I met up with, a, you know, with the building owners. And it turned out that the guy who rented the place to us was not related to them at all. Um, and, you know, we've been paying him our rent and we gave him our first and last month's rent, et cetera. And he just hadn't been paying them, you know, and they'd actually made a deal with him, um, to rent out that space. And for a while he was paying the rent. And then one day he just stopped and vanished and apparently does this all the time. Um, yeah. So they were like, yeah, we're really sorry. Um, like we want to help try to find a solution for you, but like, we don't really know what to do. And, um, and I couldn't talk to Matthew. I couldn't talk to my partner. And, um, and it was just after the holidays, we'd just given these bonuses because we had a really good year. Um, and, uh, and suddenly, you know, like we didn't have like a very like big savings accounts and, uh, and like, we're, we're going to lose the, we're definitely going to lose the offices, like probably within the month. And, um, and I was like at work, like at two in the morning, um, like eating lion cereal and drinking wine and crying. <laughs> like, like, what are we going to do? 
and um, and I called my ex-boss, like uh, me and Matthew's ex-boss, and uh, he had just had a baby, so I was really grateful. He picked up the phone. He was like, "What's going on? Like, tell me everything." And um, so I was just like talking. I was like sniffling and telling like this whole story, like while while I was eating cereal, <laughs> and uh, and he was like, he was so good. He was like. Um, I just want you to know that this problem you're going through right now is a really banal problem. Like um, everybody's been through it. It happens. You're going to get through it because you have no choice. And, um, and I found that really comforting because um, was, it, it was true. He was right. And uh, it was fine, but it was really overwhelming for me. And I've talked to other entrepreneurs since. And it was actually a common problem. Like uh, my ex-boyfriend, his first company, um, they were like out on the street literally the next day and he had like 50 people, you know, and he, you know, wow. is quite common actually. And, um, and so, uh, so I felt a little better. And then, you know, like, so he just sort of drifted away from that realm of discussion and he just started talking to me about my life now as an entrepreneur. And, um, and he was like, I'm going to tell you something, um, which is um, like, I don't mind you calling me. You can always call me. Like, it's not a big deal. Um, but you really need to diversify your pool of friends. Um, you really need to find more friends that have um, started businesses, particularly women. I think that the challenges of women entrepreneurs are really different from other people's challenges. And I think that's going to help you a lot because one of the things that's going to happen to you now is um, you're going to start feeling really lonely and you're going you're gonna to stop understanding your friends. Like you and your friends are going to stop understanding each other because you're going to get together like on your girls nights, whatever. Everybody wants to relax. They're going to complain about their bosses. <laughs> They're going to complain about their jobs. And mm. you're going to be like, that's well, you, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to be like, well, maybe they did that because. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he was like, it's going to get really hard for you. And, uh, and that's actually, me and Matsu discussed that a lot, like um, how we feel about our friends. Um, it's gonna sound really horrible, like I hope, like it's, it's fine. Like I think my close friends I've kept, I've definitely changed, um, which is something that has been noticed, but there are a lot of people, it is true that like I just, um, I see them less cause I just, uh, I can't hear them anymore. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that we, We've also run out of things to say to each other. And that is something, that is a sacrifice that I wasn't expecting, actually. Mm, and that's, that's, uh, that's one of the toughest ones, I think, because it's, you have such a, well, I mean, with any friends, you have such a history. And when you yeah. stop, when you cut that off, for whatever reason, it's, it's tough. I, I've found that for me personally, I've had yeah. something similar happen when it's like, I've moved around a little bit or I'm working for a startup and people don't fully understand or they don't really understand what I do or they don't understand where I'm at or yeah. um, like maybe all of the above. And um, even if I have conversations, we talk about it, they're still confused the next time we talk. Um, <laughs> like, what do most of your friends do? Like, did, did you have like a group of people that like you, are you one of those people who had like a group of people that you knew? your whole life and they're all kind of like doing the same thing like what was the composition of your relationships yeah no uh so i moved around a lot as a child uh with my parents splitting up my uh mom got remarried and moved out to nevada and I, my dad lived in michigan so i would spend like uh the school year in michigan and then i would spend every other holiday out in nevada about an okay. hour hour from vegas um and 
so I had friend groups in both places. Um, I'd say the one in Michigan would be my stronger one. Okay. Um, and then when I went to university, I left the city and I was like one, one or two years older than most of my best friends in high school. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when I started going to university, they just kind of, when I stopped making the effort to go see them every single time, because I mean, it was very, very one-sided for like that, that first year at university or the year leading up to that. Um, I noticed it was more of a one-way effort and it it became kind of taxing, especially considering I was at university and I began making new friends there. Um, that being said at university, I definitely developed, uh, you know, another group of friends and those guys, um, I kind of view them as like my forever friends. Like, yeah, those are the ones that will, you know, I've been part of their weddings. Uh, I've unfortunately buried one of them. Um, and, um, and I expect them to, you know, bury me kind of thing. Like I like, we'll, like those are my, those are the people that'll be with me, you know, till I die. Um, and no matter what changes. And so like that, they're very, there's an interesting variance. We have everything from like teachers and coaches to, um, you know, like a business owner, um, to, uh, a high level, like finance accountant and, uh, for like a top, what's the best way to like a medical, I don't know. I don't know the a top, like, 500 company or something like that. I don't know. He, yeah, he, fortune, yeah. Yeah, fortune 500. fortune 500 company yeah, sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. It might, yeah, it might be even higher than, I don't know. Like he's just like, he's, he's climbing the, the accountant ladder, the uh, financing ladder. And I don't even fully, I mean, I understand what he does, but it's, uh, it's not my kind of thing. Uh, the, yeah. num- the numbers yeah. game, but um, yeah, so it's, it's a, it's a wide range of, of people. And those are the ones that, um, that, you know, check in with me um, more than, anybody else and um it's always nice to to see and and catch up with them but even then like the challenges that that i face um versus the challenges they face um the majority of them i can't i can't really talk uh, to them about this stuff like one or two of them i'd say I, i can and um there i had an instance of this specifically when uh last year not last year it was the year before last 2018 it was the end of the year and i was uh, I was traveling in Asia for a wedding. I was in Thailand and then I went to India for the wedding. And w- during this time, I was going through a, a process of, um, s- I was offered uh, earlier in the year to sell the shares of a company that I uh, worked at for a, for a while. Okay. A- and the price that they had offered me for the shares was not really- Garbage. F- yeah, it was really, really garbage. And, yeah. um, and it was kind of sketch too and like they- didn't, they wouldn't provide me with the financials of the company and the paperwork that they wanted me to sign, um, wanted, uh, it said like, oh, they would, that they would provide this sort of documentation so I can v- validate how much this, the shares are worth and all this. Um, but they just kind of like, were trying to, trying to bend, <laughs> bend me over, I guess. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, I get that. And, yeah, uh, I've been in that position. And, it's really and, shitty. Yeah, and it, but in the, you know they offer you know amount of money that's that's not a, a low amount of money, but it also is less than what I know it's worth, and less than you know the sacrifices <coughs> I made when I worked for the company. So it was like it's very taxing on my brain. At the same time, I'm traveling abroad. I'm just trying to ha- you know trying to be chill and trying to have a good time, and it ended up being kind of stressful. And so I I spent um, I spent one day 
just on the phone with these two friends, um, one of them, the business owner, one of them, the money guy, and um, talking all about, you know, the situation, um, this, the things I went through when I worked there, the, the value of the company, what my expectations were, um, what, what I'd be happy with walking away with, um, and what would be like my bare minimum, what I'd like to get for it, like all, all this stuff. And then, um, and I got two very different answers. Um, and so it was very interesting to hear, but it, it was, I'm glad to, to be able to have those people to, to go back to and, and talk with, because it's very, it's very tough. Um, they both understood um, everything I was going through and they yeah. both were able to offer me a different opinion. And although they were different, I appreciated both of them. And I only ended up kind of agreeing with one of them in the end. Like I kind of um, aligned more with one than the other. I think they were both valid um, pieces of advice. And I think it's, it's tough when you find yourself in a place where you don't have at least two options to, to have those sort of conversations and to have those sort of opinions. Yeah, no, that's totally true. Interesting. Oof. What happened with the shares? Yeah, um, I ended up uh, agreeing to a price that was maybe definitely less than what I, I knew. Um, definitely less than what I knew it was worth. Um, but they still fervently dis, uh, would not allow me to uh, to see the company financials. So in the no. like in retrospect, I should have just held on and. Um, and uh, and just like waited it out, and they were they talked about how like my shares would uh, be worth less later on um, for various reasons that they were planning, uh, different things they were planning in the future. Um, but but I made the decision based on um, the practicality of it. Like I was able to pay off my um, immediate debt. Uh, not all of, like I still have student loans, but my oh, you know, all my credit card debt, and I was also able to to take like the extra chunk and use that to finance my move here to Europe. So it was oh, kind of like cool. an opportunity cost. So it was like, um, it wasn't necessarily what I wanted for it, but it allows me to make this next step in my life. And for me, that was enough. Yeah. I think sometimes you have to know when to cut your losses. So it wasn't a total loss, but they did like, they were really shady about it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it's tough. It's tough. And, and oftentimes we, we hear these like sh stories of shady, um, things that go on in the esports industry, I think, um, in any industry, but in esports, it seems to be more of a conversation piece. Um, and yeah, I, I got to experience some of that, but also gave me great perspective on, um, on all things running a company and as well as, uh, yeah, how, how, how to make the hard decisions in life and, and how to, to balance um, work-life balance, like I have a better respect for, and also um, being able to, yeah, just kind of say, you know, I'm done. I want to disconnect ties with, you know, these people or this company or whatever. And I, and, but it allows me to move forward. And for me, that's what it was. It was about moving forward. Would you have done it differently today? The whole company, like working for the company or the sale of the 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 interaction over the shares i think i would i think i would i think i would have taken a harder stance and um because when i yeah I, there's certain things i don't i don't know that i'm comfortable saying uh right at this point but um <laughs> but uh <laughs> because i don't want to out anybody who still works at the company you know no, um so yeah but there's there's certain information that was given to me 
by various people that said, by one person in particular that said, you know, if I were you, I wouldn't. Um, but there was no, like, they're a very, very introverted person, so they didn't really give me a very um, elaborate uh, reason or details, or it was very kind of a short uh, conversation. And uh, they're the maybe one of two people I still really valued their opinion at the company. Mm. And, uh, and yeah, that's the only, I, when I was kind of debating not selling, that was like the one thing in the back of my head, like, oh, this person is, from everything I know about them, they're very, um, they're like one of the most intelligent people I know. So it's like tough to, to do that. But at the same time, I made that opportunity cost judgment and said, look, even if these shares are worth double, um, that's nice. And that sure provides me with added opportunities in the future. But, but right now for me, uh, where I was in my life, um, it was, it was what I needed. Um, yeah. and, and I was, at, I was in a tough place, um, personally as well. Cause I, I moved back home after, you know, living in Los Angeles for like three years and, uh, had, a, had a, you know, decent enough life out there. It wasn't easy. Uh, and I wasn't, um, I, I was underpaid for what I did for the hours I put in, but I, I made it all work. And in the end I lived like, I lived like the van life for three years. Uh, yeah. and, uh, that made it all worth it. Um, financially I was able to, you know, kind of cut back my expenses and, uh, and live a little bit better. But I'd moved back to Michigan and um, in 2008, uh, the end of 2017, I moved back to Michigan. And uh, that was a tough time for me because it's like, I moved back into my parents' home after, you know, years and years of living on my own, like let's say a decade almost. Yeah, it was uh, so weird. Uh, it was very weird. Um, and then my siblings, uh, two of my siblings were still living there. So it was almost to them, it felt like I was invading their space. And to, to me, it felt like, <laughs> Like, well, we're all family, right? So I should be, I, I mean, just as, um, like, I'm just as well, I should be just as welcome here as you guys are. But, yeah, of course. but that was, and it took me a while to realize that that's not how they felt. Um, and it wasn't necessarily a conscious decision from them or a conscious thought, like, let's not, Spencer, you know, Spencer's not welcome here. It was more of just like a, a behind the scenes or like an emotional, like vibe. yeah, just a vibe. And, and it became more than a vibe. It became audible. <laughs> like it became something that, uh, so it was just, it was stressful for the, for a time. Uh, so much of 2018 for me was kind of stressful. And, um, and the trip at the end of the year, like I said, I went to Thailand for, uh, for a little while. And then I went to India for my friend's wedding. And, um, that was, that was right at the end of 2018. And that was right when, um, I was kind of going through these, uh, final negotiations and like, I actually uh, had said no, I wasn't going to sell to them unless I got X amount of money. And I had added just a small percentage higher than what I actually wanted. And they, they, they cut off a little bit from that number, but they, they get, ended up pretty much come, going pretty close to what I said I wanted. Um, and so I just, at the very, very end of the year, um, I accepted that and had the paperwork all done by like the... Yeah, by like the first week in January of 2018. And I was really happy about that. And it was, it's interesting. I was actually in a very, what a lot of people consider like a very spiritual place. Um, I was yeah. in Rishikesh in India. And um, it's, a lot of people go there to study uh, meditation or to study like yoga. Ashram it up. Yoga. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And, um, and that's not really my thing, but uh, that I went to a place recommended by someone who's very into that stuff. And it did provide me with this space because uh, there's not a lot to do there aside from just like get in touch with the outdoors and like, 
and like like for me as someone who's like very into tech very into sports very into esports there's none of that there like you barely have internet like it's like yeah. you're disconnected very much so so for me it was a great place to to read a few like inspirational books to get a lot of my writing and my thoughts and all this stuff down and really evaluate what I want and where I want to go and things I want to do and and I was able to kind of create a framework of uh, the next step in my life and uh, I love this and then I was able to see it through with that sale that kind of that that next step started so you found out what you actually wanted yeah in in a roundabout way I did yeah do you still feel like you use that as a compass? Uh, how do you mean, like, use it as a compass? Like, do you feel like you've managed to maintain that orientation? I think there are certain, I think there were certain things that uh, maybe midway 2000, maybe just before I moved to Germany or, like, with the move, it kind of, um, I took a step back. Like, my personal fitness, for one, like, I was, I was in a very, 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 like kind of the high, like at the beginning of 2018, like, um, and then when I went to Costa Rica, I like, I was, since I was traveling so much and like doing, uh, I don't know, I didn't really make the time. It was hard for me to like find a gym or like to go on a, I guess I could have gone on more like runs and stuff and, and been more physically active, uh, in other ways that wasn't like go to the gym, ride 15 miles on the bike before you work out or something like that. Cause like for the first two months of 2018, every single day I was in the gym. What was it every day? I don't know. It was like five days a week. I was in the gym on That's the bike. Lot. Yeah. More than I ever have in my life. And I've never really been a gym guy. Like I've, I've gone like here and there, but never consistently. And then I was going like so often, but I, I what I was doing, and I was, I was hitting it like on multiple fronts. So like I wanted to learn languages and I wanted to uh, spend more time just soaking in words but I was like oh I can't just sit around and do that in my apartment or my house or whatever because I, <laughs> I can't focus and do it so what I'd do is I'd start at the gym on the the bicycle and I would just have my phone and I'd just like go through dual lesson duolingo lessons and I'd do yeah. that for like 45 minutes I would ride for like 15 miles like between 10 and 15 miles on the bike while just doing like duolingo lessons and then I would do my workout and so like me starting every single day, like going into the beginning of 2018, I was on just like this, like, let's get it high. Um, oh, you but, your own little Hamburg. <laughs> yeah. It, so like, I, I, I definitely stepped back from that, which is a little disappointing, but it's not something that I can't, uh, kind of recorrect. Uh, I think there's a few things I'm still sorting out as far as, uh, day-to-day -day life goes here in Germany. And, uh, once I have that m slightly more stable, I, feel like I can kind of get back to where I want to be on, on that front. But on other fronts, you know, I'm, I'm doing well. And I'm, um, one of the, like my biggest things was like, I really wanted a better work-life balance and I, I've created that. And I've also created the time and the space to, um, do other things I enjoy, like say this podcast, it's something I've wanted to do for a while. And I love having conversations with people. And, mm -hmm. uh, this is like, like I never really thought so much about like, Hey, I want to be in podcasting, but um, this is such a, a cool format to, to have conversations about anything. Yeah, we're sort of in a golden age of podcasting. We're in a golden age of conversations. I dig that. Yeah, it's interesting too, because I, I, love, I love traveling. And uh, one of my friends said, well, why don't you just do a, a travel podcast? And I was like, oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I thought about it and I was like, I had like this name for it. And I 
but I just never followed up on it. And then yesterday I, I came across some, I ripped out a, a couple of old pages from like one of my old notebooks that, uh, like 2014 maybe when I, just mm -hmm. before I moved to LA and, uh, and I was just like in a really in, inspired, uh, yeah, between 2012 and 2014, I kept felt, went through like another tough time and I like felt inspired. So I did a lot of writing. And so I ripped out a few pages, uh, in this notebook so I could have them with me and kind of like look over them and kind of get that kick of that kind of feeling re-inspired in some, yeah. at some point. Well, I went across this piece of paper and it actually was, was a list of questions to, to ask someone for like a travel blog or a travel, uh, <laughs> a travel podcast. It's a format of a travel podcast, but it was, I initially wrote it as like a travel blog. Like I could interview people about traveling, about their blog, about what they're doing, how they're sustaining themselves and write, write about that. But I, I mean, it's the perfect questionnaire for a podcast. So now like literally if I have the time or if I wanted to make the time later this year, it's, which is something I've, I'm considering, I may start a travel podcast as well. So just having the time and space to, to like focus on other projects, um, like talking to people, uh, hearing their stories, sharing their stories. Those are things that I really am passionate about. And uh, yeah, I hope to continue doing that. There's actually, maybe you'd find this interesting. Um, I just started listening to, because I'm always looking for French podcasts to listen to because I have a ton of English ones. Um, and French ones, like they can be kind of like a drag for me to listen to sometimes. So um, I like to listen to podcasts that are sort of experimental with their formats because then it makes it easier to to sort of focus on a language that's not my own. Like, you know, especially when you're relaxing, you don't want to work in your mind. Um, and there's this woman who uh, who runs a podcast that's named after her. Her name is Penelope Buff. And, uh, and it's such an interesting format. Like, this is what I love about podcasts. It's so experimental. So basically... Her own podcast is uh, all of the episodes are like five minutes long, so they're super short. They're just really snackable, and um, they're her talking about a random subject or travels, or sometimes like she'll be discussing a conversation. Like she's really, I guess she's a really good imitator. I don't really know that much about her because I just started following her. Um, but yeah, so all of that is sort of consolidated under her Penelope Buff podcast. But off to the side of that podcast, she has like a you know, like her separate travel podcasts and her separate, I don't know, whatever podcasts that she is elementing, like, or that she's like sort of feeling with these, um, with these other formats that just sort of unify centrally in her, you know, in her name brand podcast. Um, and I thought that that was, um, I thought that was interesting. It's kind of like, okay, so if you want to hear like all of her random stuff, you can just follow this one. If I don't care about all her stuff, like if I just want to listen to her travel diaries, whatever, and listen to this other one off to the side and it's not going to be updated that often but at least you know it'll be really focused content and um and i thought that that was actually really smart it's a simple idea but it's it enables her to be eclectic hmm, yeah it does seem like that's that's really interesting um i i can definitely see the value in that and i actually have a, a friend uh in back in michigan who streams and he's created a lot of, a lot of, um, like, he's really funny. He's a funny guy, and that's mm -hmm. just, which is, like, the biggest appeal to his Twitch stream. But he also has been doing a podcast for a while now. Um, okay. But he's been messing with the format. Like, he got a little bit burnt out, it seemed, at the uh, by the end of last year, and he took, like, a, maybe a month off. But yeah. now, now he's come back, and he's doing an additional podcast that's that has no script. It's not, like, strictly formatted. It's literally... It's like a morning thoughts podcast. 
Interesting. And so like he'll literally, he'll just start the day in for 10 minutes. It's about 10 minute long uh, in length um, between like seven and 10, let's say. And he just talks about whatever's on his, on his mind. Like it, something as stupid as like, Hey, his cat just farted right next to him. And then he just starts talking about that cat farts and, and the pain they cause people or something like, um, and then he also does this thing. Um, I don't, yeah, he, I don't know. He just calls them like, uh, car ride snacks or something. And they're like short videos of him driving places and he posts them to his social channels and, it's just him talking in the car on the drive to this or that, just going through thoughts, going through whatever. So I think it's really, man, the, the, the number of formats of content, like specifically just for people to share stories or people to talk is only growing. Yeah, it's true. It's super diverse. What are some of your favorite ways to storytell? Favorite ways to storytell. Can you give me an example? Um, just like, you, I think, do a good job in person of like, like intriguing people and telling stories yeah. or talking about different topics. And I think you also do that well online. You say like enough to, to like interest, uh, to have someone recognize like, hey, she comes from like uh, a pretty solid perspective and seems like it's well weighted, but also it's said in such an intriguing or unique way where people are like, oh, I'm really curious more. I want to look more into this. And it's like, maybe they'll look up further on the topic. So I guess like maybe, maybe my original question isn't what I was intending, but um, so I, th I think I came across like a, a review on your, on your LinkedIn page. Cause I was being real snoopy. Cause I realized we weren't, we weren't, we weren't friends. We weren't friends. Uh, or we weren't really? like connections and I was like, oh, well we're connected. So I'm going to add her. And then, yeah, sure enough, you did add me. So that's great. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but someone said, uh, man, what did they say? They said something along the lines of, I'm trying to see if I can come across it quickly. I don't know if I will, but someone said Angela's, uh, great at, at like storytelling or great at, um, uh, telling, getting her point across. And she does it with such incredible anecdotes that, will leave you laughing or will keep everything interesting or something like that. And I was, I was actually wondering, like, do you, have you put a lot of practice into that or is that something that comes naturally? Oh, wow. What a question. Ah, um, let me think. Okay. So the first thing I'll say is, um, I've always been a writer. Like, uh, I think I'm better at writing than I really am at anything else. And, uh, that's just always been a thing. Um, so, so I like writing. I think writing is a form of investigation for me. I don't think that I really understand something until I've written about it. And I actually think that I can make things more interesting for myself when I begin writing about them, because then, um, then I go down these little cognitive rabbit holes, like on a quest to find all the puzzle pieces, um, in my writing. So writing is definitely like up there in terms of format. Um, to go back to this anecdote question, <laughs> um, so one of the things that I'm learning about myself in the, in the last couple of years is that, uh, is that I'm really drawn to, um, um, something called systems thinking. So systems design. And, uh, and I read this, uh, really lovely book that I, I think I talk about it a lot called thinking in systems called Donella M. Meadows. And, um, 
I thought it would be sort of like game theory, you know? Um, and you know what kind of people read about game theory? Uh, <laughs> like, not to be a jerk about it. It's fine. Game theory is fine. I respect it. I respect you if you've read about game theory. Um, but, but it's like, you know, you have all these like sort of like really arrogant geeks going, yeah, I've read about game theory. So I know who's going to date in this bar, you know? And uh, so I thought it would be kind of like that. Um, but it's actually, uh, it was really surprising. Um, so she starts by talking about small systems, like, you know, like um, if you're filling a bathtub, you know, like um, what goes into the system of that bathtub filling up? Well, what happens, you know, if you, um, if you keep the faucet on, but now there's a hole, what happens in that systems design? And then um, it just expands bigger and bigger until you start talking about governments. And, um, and the really compelling thing about this book is that there's something that's weirdly Zen about it. And, uh, and I thought that I, it was just in my head, but at the end, like she writes this sort of epilogue about how she and her fellow, like her fellow peers, they went into systems design and they all had this expectation, I guess a little like me, like, yeah, we're going to go into systems design, like conquer the world of business, ha ha ha. And, um, and actually they all came out um, with almost this Buddhist attitude. Uh, and uh, and she she said uh, she says this thing that I think we quoted in um, in Generation Creation. It's one of my favorite quotes, which is that um, there are no separate systems. Everything is a continuum. Like everything is constantly impacting everything else. Um, you know, like the butterfly effect. I guess is what we would call that. Um, so yeah. So so I've been thinking a lot recently about how this book has impacted my brain because I think a lot about how like the different interests that I get into and things that I become curious about, like what happens to my brain? Cause I, I used to worry a lot about, um, well, I've read all this stuff and I've tried all these things and then what happens? Like, I'm going to forget them and then it'll be like a waste. And then maybe I spent a year learning about knitting and then like, maybe it doesn't matter anymore. Cause I don't knit, you know, like, um, just sort of like having a panic attack about, I don't know, like knowledge loss, <laughs> like sort of this existential attack. And, um, and systems thinking got me thinking about, no, what actually happens to my brain um, when, uh, when I'm integrating knowledge or integrating a skill. Um, and, uh, and actually it's all, you know, around in there and it's all impacted other stuff, you know, like I know that that sounds kind of like an obvious thing to say, but in, re in relation to conversations, um, this is something that I think about a lot. So somebody will tell me a story like based on something that's really simple, you know, like maybe it'll be like, I don't know, like, where do you work? What do you do? And, uh, and those questions are very simple, but they're also a little bit complex, you know, because sometimes to explain where you work and what you do, like, especially for somebody like you, um, you're a freelancer who lives in Berlin and it leads to a lot of other natural questions. Like what are you doing in Berlin and why are you freelancing and why this sector, you know, um, a simple response to that question is actually a story about your trajectory and when you start talking about your trajectory, you're talking about, um, you're actually talking about your human story. You know, you're talking about your hero's journey. Um, you have to create a narrative um, in which you're central. And the way that you spin that narrative actually says a lot about you. Um, it tells me, for example, whether you're a, this is like sort of oversimplistic, but like whether you're a hero or a victim in your story, um, whether you have a really positive solutions oriented outlook or whether you're kind of like, Oh, and then this happened to me <laughs> like Sisyphus <laughs> and, <laughs> and whether you're interested in people or whether you're just kind of waiting to speak, you know, you learn all kinds of things in these, in these instances where you don't 
where you think you're just listening, where you don't necessarily think that you're learning anything. And, um, and when I started thinking of like that, and when I started listening from that perspective, um, it sort of changed the way that I started thinking. And, and now when I hear people, what I'm hearing are all kinds of systems um, that, have sort of a, that have sort of come together in this person's life. And that, you know, like all these interactions that this person has made sort of, um, that have sort of coalesced into where they are now, like this sort of miracle of accidents. And, and while listening, it, it creates all of these unexpected connections also in my mind, like this anecdote about, I don't know, like uh, me at 2 a.m. at work eating cereal and crying and calling my ex-boss and what did that mean? And then uh, what did I learn? And then where did I go? And then how did that lead up to now? And it's just, um, and it's just, uh, once I started thinking like that, everything got really messy, obviously. And then you start, you sort of have to think about finding ways to, you know, when you get excited about all that stuff and you want to share it, um, how do you start unifying all of that information in a way where you don't get lost in the weeds of your story <laughs> and other people don't get lost? I personally feel like I'm not doing like the most coherent job. <laughs> On this, on this podcast, but um, but uh, yeah, you have to start thinking about a. Okay, if you're gonna start telling people like the epic story about your own connected systems, like your interlocked systems, and all the crazy ways that they've intervened in your life, like you have to sort of find a pathway so you don't get lost. Um, and sort of so, I know this is like a very strange answer, but um, that's kind of how I approach like talking to people, I guess. And I think um, I think that people are often very surprised. It's true, I think that people are often very surprised um, because I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. And I think it's, it's probably obvious in ways that I'm not even aware of. I don't know, you can tell me actually, because we've had like a few conversations by now. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I, I, and if I had to, to sum that up, and you could tell me if, yeah. if, this, is, if this is wrong or not. Um, your anecdotes essentially help keep people's focus on what you're trying to say instead of diving into all the surrounding systems. Exactly. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like the bones of a mythology. Like, uh, if, if I can use a story, then I can sort of, um, I can use it as a framework. And yeah. And then it also, it keeps me from getting lost because I don't know, like, especially when I've had a couple of drinks, you know, you just, you get lost, like telling some like random thing. And then you're like, well, how did I get here? What happened? I'm sure that's happened to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, like hopefully, I don't know. And also people just remember stories more easily and they find them more relatable. So it's just, I don't know, it's just easier than trying to explain some abstract concepts like what I just did with systems theory. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair. That's fair. And, I've, and I did come across the, the actual uh, recommendation on, on LinkedIn. And it's, it's pretty much like, not only is uh, or it says talent and clients love Angela, not only because she is smart, has impressive pitching skills and an infinite general knowledge, but also because she will always surprise you with the weirdest and funniest anecdotes. <laughs> I think that's a pretty awesome so recommendation. Oh, yeah, that's my ex-boss. That's the guy who picked up the phone at two in the morning. Nice. Nice. That's, that's nice. Yeah. That's very good. Um, Kind of jumping back into the the esports side side of things, mm -hmm. um, for Hurrah specifically, like what kind of jobs are important? Because Hurrah is a how would you describe Hurrah? It's a communications and advertising agency working with uh, gaming and esports. And so, like, what positions like if someone's interested in 
you know, working for her, what kind of positions are like important? Mm -hmm. So, okay, so it's important to start with sort of where Hurrah situates itself in the market, like sort of just building that bridge between uh, between brands and the esports and gaming communities. And often those brands are not necessarily endemic. Um, so there has to be a lot of learning happening on both sides, like the brands learning about communities that they want to talk to and also finding a way to build a pathway for the communities to be receptive to learning more about the brands. Um, so... So, okay, what kind of jobs are critical to Hurrah? Um, creative jobs are obviously really critical to Hurrah. Um, production skills, um, art direction, illustration is surprisingly really important. Um, design and writing skills, the capacity to storytell and build, a, and build concepts, um, but also everything sort of around that universe. Um, account management and direction is really important just having that sort of subtlety to know how to protect and advance creative interests while also protecting and advancing client interests back at the creatives like that's a really important job um we could always use more of that um project management obviously um and uh, and a lot of uh, community management as well although I think that that job is changing a lot. Like, I think it's evolving in ways that people still don't totally understand yet. Um, so yeah, like just pretty standard sort of agency fair. Yeah, um, we're, also, we're also curious about learning about people with planner skills um, because planners tend to be really strong macro thinkers, um, especially when they've had a past in advertising. We... We'd like to find more people that have worked in advertising before, just because um, people with strong esports skill sets tend to have not cross pollinated that much. Like, and esports is also really young, so that basically overall means they just don't know how to solve sort of like everyday logistical problems that people who've been in advertising or you know tech whatever for a long time might know how to solve. And uh, people that also um, have a diversity of skills. Um, so sort of a, a polyvalence, like, so for example, you are able to do many kinds of things. And that's really important for a young company. And I think it's also really important for personal growth, like, cause people just get bored and, um, and they should be able to, you know, move around and try new things. I think that's, that's very true. Yeah. I think, uh, for me personally, and you, you mentioned that at the mm -hmm. end there, like, uh, I, I, love taking on uh kind of new um new opportunities or ones yeah. that are not necessarily totally outside of my sphere of comfort but things that would allow me to grow uh not just like hey do this because i said so yeah exactly um, you can flex other muscles yeah absolutely yeah. just professional development i think is super important and um, really? and kind of just keeping your your workforce happy or just you know your team your team happy um i as a uh, when I worked for uh, a previous company, I was kind of like a team lead. Uh, I kind of managed uh, a couple people, and that was like kind of not the—I wouldn't say it's the bane of my existence because it's not. <laughs> that's the first. This is the words that came to mind, but that's actually not exactly. That's not at all what it was. Um, like I loved advocating for my team, but to the point to where the people above me hated me. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's like a line to walk yeah yeah it's, it's, it's like, a it's yeah. a very yeah it's a very difficult uh line to walk and i think like um yeah it's just yeah it's um it's something you you learn with time and you uh you gain perspective from however you end up 
doing it. So. It's totally true. For for people wanting to like get involved in the industry, like wanting to you know work in esports um, and gaming, how would you recommend they go about getting experience or finding experience? Hmm. It depends. Uh, it depends. Uh, where in the industry that they want to end up. Um, like, cause obviously esports has a lot of just sort of different roles that you can do now, like, uh, from pro gaming to coaching to, I don't know, to working sort of on the business at, on the business side of the sector. Um, specifically, I guess yeah. more with a, with a company like Hurrah, like, um, okay. if someone yeah. wanted to do, to say potentially fill one of the positions that Hurrah are happen to be, um, trying to hire right now. Um, uh -huh. then how would somebody go about gaining that experience? Okay. I would say in our particular case, we're looking for people who have a, in most jobs, we're looking for people who have a diversity of experience outside of the sector. Um, one of the biggest frustrations of esports is, a, and I'm sure that you've encountered this before, um, a lot of the people who have made the biggest, um, the biggest companies within esports are really proud of the, the fact that, um, they made it from the bottom. Yeah, like I was a gamer. Um, I've always been here, um, just sort of cradle to grave. Like I come from these people, they're my people. You know, they're really proud of that narrative. Mm. Um, and it's a really empowering narrative, um, except it's a little bit problematic. It's problematic in the sense that what that actually means <laughs> is that um, most of them have never worked anywhere else, um, which means that there is a huge lack of diversity of experience in the sector and uh, and one of the things that that cultivates are young people who are just like esports or die, you know, like and they don't want to be like um, impure in the sense that they have like mm. worked somewhere else, um, which is also really problematic in the sense that when they encounter people who come from other sectors, um, they can be quite gatekeepy. Like a like a somebody put it to me once. Um, he said, uh, he said, regardless of how much experience I have and how much experience I can bring to bear on this specific problem, somebody can always come up from behind me and just fan harder about esports. And he will win, even if he doesn't actually have anything to say about this problem. Um, I think that's quite common. And I think that's a, that's a huge problem. So, uh, so what we're trying to do in Hurrah is like we, we're big believer, believers in this idea that um, to be competitive and strong, you really, really need to be open to um, lots of different kinds of perspectives and different kinds of skill sets. Um, because one of the ways in which this um, this sort of like weird purity has impacted esports is that uh, we're trying to solve a lot of problems that have already been solved in other sectors. Like, and we're sort of like ruminating around them, going, "I don't know what to do about this." And it's just like we're literally the only major entertainment industry that has this challenge. <laughs> like, it's been solved. Um, codes of conduct, for example, people going, I don't know, is that like a real thing that matters? And it's like, yes, <laughs> all of the industries do it. Every single one, every last one. Um, but I guess like, uh, I don't know, something to be said, I guess, for philosophizing a little bit longer. Um, so yeah, so people uh, who, uh, who have been open to other experiences besides esports, like loving esports is great. Often the types of job um, uh, sort of like um, entries that we receive are stuff like um, we get a lot of you should hire me because I've been a gamer all my life like and this is my list of games that I play and it's just like a, that's really cool that you like love games 
Um, the thing is, uh, that's all we get are people who do nothing but love games and they don't actually have skills. Like that's not actually a skill mm. set is loving games. Um, a skill set will get you above the pack. Um, a diversity skill set is a little bit more interesting to us. So, um, so actually having, having done something outside of the sector, um, like particularly in advertising or in tech, like something that has exposed you to a lot of different kinds of problems and a lot of different kinds of way of thinking and a lot of different ways of um, having worked in teams and notably international teams because esports is international by nature. Hurrah is an international company, like English is the primary language that we speak, even in the middle of Paris. Um, we really need people who have been exposed to that kind of diversity of things. So, um, so I would say like, if you dream of working in Hurrah or like, I don't know, ultimately it's some other esports oriented agency someday, um, just don't be afraid of, um, of finding, finding experience outside of the sector. That's really important because too few people have that. Um, and it's, it's a really big problem actually. Um, yeah, that's, that's the big thing that I would, uh, that I would say. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Um, when it comes to networking, uh, mm -hmm. something I like to discuss as well. Um, sure. You just came from Esports Bar, which is, yeah. I mean, that's the, a great place to do so. Um, what are some tips for, I guess, not necessarily in Esports e Bar uh, arena, you know, like that sort of setting, but uh, for like the average Joe at home or Jane, um, how would you recommend someone kind of, uh, kind of network with, with other people? Um, what are some good ways? Do you have any tips of like, getting in touch with people that you admire or, um, you know, getting your work in front of somebody or um, just kind of making connections that are meaningful. Yeah, um, this is going to sound like really sort of like low hanging fruit advice. It's not like tons of people still do this wrong. Um, people come to these events, like especially esports bars specifically, it can be a bit of an expensive event for a lot of people. So people really want to make it count. Um, so what they tip, what they tend to do is they tend to have a, a like a wish list, yeah, of people that they want to meet. Um, Esports Bar specifically has this sort of VIP format where you can pay a little bit more and have meetings with people that you already want to meet, sort of organized for you, which is really practical. But um, a lot of people are not doing that, right? Like a lot of people are just like you and me, and we're just sort of taking our chances. Um, so. Uh, so people have their list and, um, and they sort of like hunt you down <laughs> and they like, and they follow you around. Um, and that can get really exhausting and everybody hates that. Everybody hates being hard sold too. There was, um, there was a tech company that like, you know, they came to my mentoring sessions um, and they tried to demo me there. It was like literally one guy who just started, he just took up my entire mentoring se session trying to demo me. And then his demo didn't work. So he texted like two more of his minions and then they both came and they just sort of like took over my mentoring session so they could like demo me there. Like their weird thing that I told them, like, I'm not really sure that this makes a ton of sense for my company. And then like in the days to come, they just kept coming, you know, like uh, mm. it was really exhausting and unpleasant. Um, and uh, and I'm not actually necessarily that important. You know, I'm sort of an adjacent services company within esports. Um, so imagine what it's like for, you know, like if you're representing a publisher or if you're representing a major brand, like those people, like they sometimes feel sexy like stars, but mostly they feel tired all the time because they're just having that experience um, constantly. Uh, I would say 
as a as an inverse to that um the best way to just sort of get to know people is to actually just like be a human person like people really just want to um to work with people that they feel like they're friends with you know like um who are interested in them and who are just like normal and there to have a good time i'm not saying do nothing but drink um i am saying just be chill and easy and not a demanding person to I don't know, to get to know, like, you know what I mean? Like, don't just be there to, to find out what immediate mercenary value you guys can bring to each other. Um, get to know each other on a friendly level first. And then like, when the time comes to talk about business, be serious about that topic, you know, actually know what you're talking about. Um, this is actually a really interesting question because um, I was sort of wondering around the conference this year, asking, um, something sort of similar to your question um because these people are just we're meeting people constantly like we're just going from conference to conference yeah. um meeting people all the time and um you have to find a way to vet very quickly because uh new people are coming into esports you don't know if they're legit or not you don't know if they're smart or not or even this person you just met like who the hell are they <laughs> like you're not sure if you can trust them um just you know from the very beginning before you even know what they're selling like um is this person somebody that uh that I want to spend additional time with? So I've been asking people, um, do you have a question that you're using as a test? <laughs> like, like when you're getting to know people in networks. Um, and uh, and the answers were really varied. There's a woman who uh who says that she asks people if they game, like what games do you play? Um, and she tries to vet them that way, like, you know, like a very sort of tribal question. Um, there's a, there's like a dude that I met who was like, um, I like to ask, uh, how'd you get into esports? And then he was like, I just let them talk for like 20 minutes. And, uh, and he said he actually, um, sort of monitors like the code of what they say, you know, like if they say something like e-gaming, I know that they're a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, it, and it goes back to like what we were talking about earlier, like, he's basically looking for their trajectory into the sector, like the whys and how it happened. And, um, and while listening, you can find out if the person actually knows and understands the sector in a meaningful way. Um, so yeah, like, I think it's interesting to have questions like that. Um, like, I'll sometimes ask, ask people like, you know, what's a weird conversation that you had in the last couple of days? And, uh, you know, and based on what they answer, you know, you learn a lot about them too, you know, like what they consider um, sort of like crossing a boundary or um, you learn about something that they didn't understand and that they're still trying to like work on in their minds. So, um, so that's interesting too. So I guess like my advice would come down to like, honestly, just be a person who's sincerely interested in people. Um, don't chase people around hard selling. Everybody hates that shit. Um, be really smart about your topic when the time finally comes where you know where people are ready to discuss that with you and let them decide that don't let yourself decide that because nobody gives a shit until they give a shit and um and i would say like as you're going through the space like just be aware that people are trying to vet other people you know just be thoughtful about your answers and also um Think about how you're going to vet other people because sometimes you chase around a person from a brand and uh, they're not even that important, you know, and you feel like you wasted all kinds of time with somebody who's just sort of like 
a jerk who just like comes to these conferences to like get away from his family and has no intention of doing any business at all, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I think those would be my, my major things for networking. Outside of networking, because I can tell mm -hmm. you, you really love networking. Um, <laughs> uh, what is, uh, what's, what's your favorite part of your job or your work? Or some of your favorite parts, I guess, and that'd be like one solitary thing. Uh, I really like being surprised by people. Um, like there's, I don't know, like when you've been doing something for a long time, it's easy to be sort of lulled into this idea of like, okay, I know my talking points. I know how this is going to go. I know what this person is like and um, and that can make your life feel quite dull. Um, just sort of like maintaining a sustained interest in what you're doing is a big challenge and also finding ways to keep that interesting, like to change things up sometimes. Like a, um, I used to do this thing where like a person that I didn't necessarily like want to be around that much, I would like ask them to lunch, um, sort of go out of my way. Hmm. And uh, just sort of investigate those feelings, <laughs> you know, like dive, dive into them. Yeah, and um, and most of the time, it's like you know, like the way that I'm feeling is not like a real feeling at all, you know. And uh, and we get to know each other, and maybe like we sort of just we get the chance to dispel um, some weird feelings that we had. Um, and also, I don't know, like finding ways to cross-pollinate in the sector because people often feel like um, the best thing to do to just sort of like stay current in esports is to keep learning about esports, um, which is okay. <laughs> That's fine. Um, but, uh, but again, all systems are connected. You need to stay current about what's happening in the world. Like um, we, we've been doing this uh, exercise internally, a few people in the agency just talking about the agency vision. Um, like where has the agency been? Uh, where are we going to be headed like in a couple of years? And then what do we look like in like five, 10 years? And, um, and everybody tried to answer this question alone at first. And then we all got together and we shared like our mood boards of like, okay, the agency now, the agency two years, five years, 10 years, whatever. Um, and this was actually a really interesting exercise for me because um, obviously five years is already kind of like, who knows? It's anybody's guess. Like, does the agency even still exist? Like, who knows? Yeah. Um, but if you can scale into 10 years, like, you can't just be thinking about esports anymore. Like, that's way further out than, oh, like, uh, the sector becomes more federated. Um, that becomes a, uh, well, what's happening with technology? Like what's happening with human culture? Like we're kind of in a, we're in a period of crisis right now. What happens with, um, you know, like what people prioritize? Like do people travel more or less? Like how do people feel about entertainment? Like, are we going to have the same feelings about entertainment that we do now? Like, no, those answers are gonna be really different. VR is a big topic, mixed reality. And uh, my suspicion is 10 years out, um, we're just gonna have a lot less hardware because hardware is annoying. You know, like I'm personally really annoyed by it. I don't think the answer is necessarily like putting stuff in our bodies either. I think people are really creeped out by that. Um, I think personally that the future is something that's gesture-based and then your hardware software affordances are outside of you and in the immediate environment. That's the thing that makes the most sense to me. Um, and then how does esports behave? 
in that world, you know, what does that look like then? Um, is online offline a lot closer than it is now? Um, and then where does hurrah play? Like my big suspicion for where hurrah is like this time, I don't know, five years, 10 years out is that um, we're thinking about entertainment and competitive entertainment in really different ways. We have to think of it from a, a much more immersive perspective and a much more, um, and a much richer perspective from, um, from a storytelling position. So, um, so I don't know, like just thinking about like, how do you sort of like, you know, when you get a little bit bored or when you kind of feel like you've sort of like done your rounds of the topic, like um, how do you find a way to test those theories, you know, to sort of like test the boundaries of what you think you know. And, um, and this thought experiment has like, it's been a lot of fun for me. Um, I also really like uh, talking to clients that have a vision of uh, not just what the company does, but uh, like what they personally want to do in their lives, like because what they personally want to do in their lives is gonna play out in, um, in agency interactions and also in, um, in the way that they defend their own company stakes. You know, like we're all just people having interactions. And, uh, and I think that if you look at things that way, from that very micro perspective of, you know, we're all just people trying to like have interactions that we enjoy most of the time, at least, um, you just, uh, you can think about like even your everyday life in a really sort of different way. Is that a useful answer? Like, I feel like I sort of like drifted off the plot a little bit. No, I think it is useful. I think it is. I think you brought it back. Okay, good. Um, you, I'd, I'd consider you a leader and I think that, um, you've discussed kind of leadership and the importance of, um, your perspective and the way you view things as someone who's, you know, an entrepreneur and someone who's uh, leading a company. Is there any, are there any resources that you recommend for people who, uh, might see themselves as a leader or might want to gain more, um, insight from other leaders? Is there any like reading materials or videos or anything that you recommend you might point someone to? Yeah, tons of a, God, where do I even begin? Jeez. Uh, <laughs> so in terms of leadership, um, I really like uh, the Simplify podcast because um, they're just these sort of like really snackable interviews with um, with authors that are writing popular nonfiction. So you get, um, so you get their perspective on, you know, the sort of advice they're dispensing at any given time and also additional reading from them, which I think is very clever. Um, I listen a lot to the 10% podcast, which is a, a meditation podcast, but that also involves like a lot of people from business. Um, so you learn how meditation impacts their businesses and also how they're, um, how they sort of manage stress, which is kind of the existential ongoing problem of leadership. Um, the Tim Ferriss podcast, I don't know how you feel about Tim Ferriss. Do you have feelings about Tim Ferriss? I do. Interesting. What kind of feelings? <laughs> I just left it there. Um, so I'd say that, um, I, okay, so I'm going to give you, I'm going to go a little <laughs> bit off. I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. Um, there was a, this was the, this was like the most stressful time of my, my life. Um, and okay. I, I worked a job doing data entry. And so it was from like, it was really crap hours. They weren't like necessary cr crap hours. It's like 2 p.m. to like 10 p.m. But it's like, the worst hours in that I wouldn't be able to like go back to go to bed right away when I got home. Right. So I'd be forced to like, my body was just 
forced to be awake for several more hours after work because I feel like I didn't do anything during the waking hours of the day. And then I would just like sleep way in and then kind of repeat and not do very much. And so it was just like not a very good time. But in doing the data entry, I had lots of like, it's literally just like entering dates and social security numbers and numbers and names and like just for hours and hours. So it's like mind numbing X's and O's for hours. So no thought process going into this really. Um, so I had room to listen to audiobooks and like totally soak up all the information. I listened to the, uh, four hour work week and it changed my perspective on a lot. I think so I value Tim Ferriss, um, and the, I don't know, his curiosities and his, his willingness to, um, seek out answers. Uh, to things he doesn't know, like how does my body, how does my mind react to these things? What happens if I stop doing this and I only focus on this for a year? You know, what happens if I do this for a month? Like he tests this stuff. He's very curious. And I think that his curiosity is something um, that most people can relate to, but not everybody can relate to the fact that he goes out and follows up on those curiosities. Um, and the way that I think the four hour work week is crafted, I think it, it's, it inspired me uh, a bit more to, to go out and just start doing things uh, more than I had, I guess, and seeing seeing more opportunities in places maybe I didn't see before. But um, so I, I value it and I value his podcast as well. Like I think he he he's so well known now that he can talk to just about anybody in the world That's and yeah. and he can he can kind of get their opinions at face level and he's he's not he doesn't try to like paint it up right here, right? He doesn't try to make himself look better. He just like is having a brother to brother conversation, you know, like, or, or just like a, a friend to friend conversation for the most part, like he'll ask them about anything. And these are like some of the most powerful or the well, well-placed people or, you know, wealthiest or, you know, hardest working or biggest companies, like minds of our time in a lot of ways. And so I, I like the fact that he, um, He's done that, and I think he's yeah he's secured himself a, I guess a, a positive, um, vote in my mind. Yeah, I didn't used to like him because uh, I just don't like, like my dad used to do this thing where I wasn't allowed to listen to music when he would pick me up from school. He would just make me listen to success tapes, mm-hmm. um, and while I recognize the usefulness of that, um, I also found it like really grating and annoying, right? Because sometimes you really just want to listen to music. I don't know. Um, but Tim Ferriss would sort of remind me of this time where it's just like you just get really tired of people trying to light a fire under your ass all the time. That's like how I would feel about him. Um, but a few years ago, um, I don't know, like especially like from a podcast perspective, something happened to him. Like he just sort of like cracked um, in his mind and uh, and he became, yeah, like his curiosity became like a very different thing. You know, um, he started searching for something else. Like not just to, to optimize himself, mm. but also uh, he he just sort of started traversing um, a path that I thought was um, a lot less about productivity. Which I think uh, I don't think that you should always be looking just to be more productive because I feel like um, that's sort of like a capitalist lie. Like that's um, that's the thing that we're asked to do as busy work to make sure that we're just like always working all our lives, like until we die. Yeah. Like that's, that's the habit we're asked to develop. Um, 
but yeah so now like his podcast is a lot more like you know although that there there's still like a lot of productivity and a lot of like good balance advice there it's also about like uh, well how are you fulfilling your life like outside of that stuff and uh, and i think those are more interesting and vulnerable conversations so i've really like come to value him as well in the last few years for that reason um i would also say to people to like listen to listen to stories like because a lot of the stories that we tell each other or the marketing stories even the marketing stories that we tell each other religious stories that we tell each other it doesn't matter these stories are thousands of years old like tens of thousands of years old um and it's good to have like a sense of that perspective like i like to listen to the mythology podcast or i listen to endless thread for like you know more I don't know, more modern sort of like falling down rabbit holes, a hundred, you know, 99% invisible, um, radio lab, just sort of imbibing stories because it teaches you to develop like, you know, a healthy interest in weird things. And also people like the, the weirdnesses that people are hiding, um, which I think is really important for leadership. Um, and then, uh, like from a book perspective, like, I'm hard pressed to think of books now. I would say like Buffett by Roger Lowenstein. I really admire Buffett. Um, he was, you know, like sort of, I think my favorite first icon. Um, I'm a mathematician by Norbert Wiener. It was like really impactful to me. Um, read about systems design, thinking in systems by Donella M. Meadows, like obviously just really changed the way that I thought. Limits to growth is another one of her books. Um, just thinking about the way that the world works and interconnects with each other, because one of the one of the great complications of running a company now is that um, <clears throat> we still don't have anything else to measure our success besides growth. You have to be constantly growing and constantly making more money um, all the time, and you have to never die. And all of those things are really impractical. Like those are those are really shitty metrics. And I spend a lot of time thinking about that. You know, like um thinking about how um, I want for us to have other things to measure besides financial growth, because that's not the most healthy metric all the time. It's not the most appropriate all the time. And uh, I want Harat to have an impact that is bigger than um, needing to live forever, because uh, I don't think that's practical either, and I don't think that's a healthy desire. Um, so what can I do to make it so that Harat has an impact and sows seeds that uh that are bigger than just making money and that are valuable for the people who are working there and that are also valuable for the people who encounter it you know like um leaving esports and advertising um and gaming and marketing leaving all of those spaces better than what we found um so these are the things that i think about a lot i would say um people who absolutely want to be leaders make me a little bit nervous um I developed a theory about power <laughs> in the last couple of years, mm. um, which is uh, often like when people think about leadership, um, some people, not all people, but when they think about leadership, what they're thinking about is power um, is and their relationship to power. Um, and uh, often when people think about power, like when people really crave being leaders, um, they're thinking about power from the perspective of like power is like an unlimited credit card, right? Um, everybody has to listen to you and like unlimited skiing trips and I don't know, you, like, I don't know, whatever, like the sort of caricature of like, I don't know how Donald Trump is behaving as a president, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But like sort of that unlimited credit, credit card idea is sort of like, um, somebody pays for that card, <laughs> you know? And that's actually, um, 
how I feel about power. Um, that real power is like a, you're the person who's paying for that card, <laughs> who's always left paying for that card. Um, you're not necessarily the person who's having all the fucking fun on that card. Um, and the more power you amass, uh, the more complicated your life becomes and the harder it gets to sort of check yourself and make appropriate decisions because the further you're getting from the people you're impacting. And I think that that's a, um, that's, it's a real existential problem. And it's something that you have to think about when you're, when you want to become a leader, like how do I strike that balance and be somebody who is, uh, who is present and coherent and fair all while being able to look into the future and think about these bigger problems that are much, much, much bigger than did this person get a raise today? You know, like, because uh, I still need to think about where the company is going to be in, uh, in five years. Um, so, so I think if you wanna be a leader, you have to think about that balance. Um, and if you're ready to take on that balance, think about becoming a leader, like having a baby. Um, because your company is a baby and the terrible thing about this baby is that it will never get past the terrible twos. It will always be in a state of super melodramatic crisis. It will always shit itself, always, <laughs> and it will always be your fault. And, um, and that is a much saner way to think about leadership than about like well I get this unlimited credit card and everybody has to listen that is really irresponsible way to think about leadership um so I would think about a you know like a you know finding perspectives that sort of like a that nuance that initial perspective like because this is not about like waking up at four in the morning and making sure that you drink power smoothies and I don't know like your like morning routine bullshit this is not about that um it's really about how you balance power and how you balance interests like the long-term safety of the people that you are stewarding um against their immediate interests right now like, and that's, those are really hard questions that will never go away for you if you decide to do this. Mm. That's a, that's a, it's a very strong perspective. I'm glad you shared it with us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for, thank you for asking. Cause I've spent a lot of time thinking about it and nobody ever asks. So, <laughs> so I'm happy to, to be able to say it to somebody. Uh, it's super important. And from somebody, uh, you know, as somebody who, you know, works under you and, um, seeing that this is something that you know you have on your mind and that you know you're thinking about and that you're trying to plan for it, you know it, it not that my mind was anything other than settled before we had this conversation but like no. it, it it reassures me that you know like that you are you know in, of a good mind and uh, thinking about the future and that's it no but just it's it's nice uh, to to hear that i think from and anybody who's not, not even necessarily me, anybody who is, you know, working underneath somebody or, um, you know, is not the, the owner of their company, um, you know, executing, um, on the day to day, you know, entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, um, dream or whatever. That's most people. Most people are not, you know, the, yeah. the owner of their own company. So being able to see your perspective or the perspective of someone who is in a position over people, um, I think it's very important because we sometimes can't remove ourselves from our own uh, ex 
um, perspective and kind of, kind of what you talked about earlier about how, um, you know, like, oh, but sometimes you just have to hold your tongue, you know, like, oh, I want that raise, but this is all kind of tied together. Yeah, I feel like I'm also lending the impression that nobody ever gets a raise ever, and that makes me feel really no, I thought it was a good example, and this guys, that's that's not true, guys. Okay, just let you know. Thanks. I got your back. Yeah. Um. Um. Okay. Is there anybody in esports uh, that you look up to? Um. I uh, I actually spent a lot of time uh, thinking about our competitors and just trying to catch up with them, like because uh, we we often have similar problems. Um, so uh, so I quite like that. I like uh, I like having those people to be able to talk to. Um, any esports that I look up to? Um, let me think. Well, I think the, the competitors, I think that's a, that's a valid point. What about outside of esports? Outside of esports? Uh, I think a lot about Mercedes era at BATC, uh, like what she was able to build with BATC, you know, like a very sort of diverse uh, workforce and also an agency that's quite diverse in sort of in terms of what it approaches. Um, and uh, her role in the agency now has become really interesting, you know, sort of interacting with um with the with larger agency interests and also with the government. So you know, BTC is working really hard with the government to uh, to build out um, the Grand Paris, uh, the Grand Paris um, project, which is sort of like expanding what we consider to be Paris, like into the suburbs that need to be developed just outside of it. Which is why BTC is now located in downtown. Has like redone like you know a whole uh, a whole building that was sort of you know in a state of collapse. Um, I think that's really cool how she's been able to sort of extend um, her role at, at an agency and as an agency into something that actively impacts the larger community from multiple fronts. Like, I think that's a I think that's really important. Um, weirdly, Joss Whedon, such a fan of him, like uh, just his ability to just sort of be creative even when he's crashing and to to think about storytelling differently, like to bring something new to these really old canons, um, I think is, I've always found really, really admirable. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'd have to think about this question more. Like, guys, like, I don't know, like, who would I say in esports? I do admire, like, what Ralph Reichert has built with ESL. Um, like, that's, that's really impressive work to me, you know, like he's one of those people who talks a lot about, you know, I was just here as a gamer. Um, he's also given me quite nice advice about being a business owner that, you know, that I do think about. And uh, yeah, I don't know, like I do admire what the publishers have built because I think that they're, they're challenged in a lot of ways because this is not what IP is for. I think people tend to forget that, um, People compare esports a lot to sports, but the great challenge is like, you know, football is going to look the same like maybe 100 years from now. Um, 
esports comes from video gaming and video gaming is a blockbuster industry you know like video gaming is a pipeline industry you make a ton of great games and uh, the most money you're going to make on them happens within the opening month um, maybe not even a month um, and then esports you're under pressure to sort of satisfy that requirement while also building out long-term infrastructure um, in the hopes that people are going to stick around for years which is a really unique and strange challenge and which is not at all guaranteed, you know, like PUBG exploded and now it's kind of like, meh. Um, like we don't even know what esports are going to matter next year. And I think that that's, um, that's a big challenge because infrastructure is expensive and people are building whole worlds inside these IP spaces. And that's not what IP was for, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I have a lot of admiration for, for that, like how they're how they're trying to balance that pressure, because I think that that's not simple. Um, yeah. Good response. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and maybe one of my last questions, uh, yeah. in a in a succinct manner or as succinct as you'd like, um, how would you recommend someone who's you know like interested in gaming, interested in esports? Um, maybe they're interested in, you know, creating a career in the space. How would you recommend that they go about finding a job in the industry and um, something meaningful to them? Uh, do homework, develop a sense of what you want. And I would say, don't just have like, I don't know, like if you're a kid, like you're totally within your rights to have a dream, you know, whatever, that's totally fine. Um, but if you're like, if you're starting to think seriously about, um, about a role in esports, don't think about, don't put too much pressure on the role that you want. Think about a trajectory that you want. Um, if you want to be in the business of esports, you have a, a lot of interesting starting points, you know, a lot of interesting trajectories that you can go down. Um, you could start, I don't know, in project management at ESL. You could start at a place like O Gaming or Glory for Gamers. You could start at a place like Hurrah. And from there, expand to other places. You know, there are people who've left Hurrah to work at teams, to work in tournament organizing. You know, um, there. You know, we have a lot of um, interests that cross pollinate each other. Um, if you want to become a streamer or a pro gamer, that's a really different trajectory. Not a ton of people make it, um, so it tends to be. Um, it tends to be a fantasy role that happens in extremes, like lots of people are doing it for free and lots of people are doing it for ridiculous sums of money. Um, so it's really helpful to think of it as a trajectory from that perspective, like think of it as more of the gig economy. If you're streaming, you're probably also going to have to be doing a lot of gaming. You're probably also going to need to pick up another kind of job. Like maybe you can, I don't know, like work with a team, do other stuff, you know, just think about your life in terms of uh, how to how to spread your interests um, in the most interesting way based on where you want to land ultimately because if you have the opportunity to plan that um, of course life is going to throw surprises at you that's totally fine it always does that but um, you have a much larger competitive advantage than you know if you're just like trying to stream 24 hours and trying to make it you know like that's not useful for you Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Angela, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I don't have anything else for you. Uh, is there anybody you, or is there anything you'd like to talk about or is there anything you'd like to shout out or? Uh, 
no, I'm good, actually. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I think we're all really happy at the agency to have just like wrapped up eSports bar. Everybody's a little bit tired. Yeah. Um, understandable. <laughs> uh, no, like I think uh, I'm good. Thank you for being interested. And if anybody is ever like interested in or curious about Hurrah, you know, like visit our site, hurrah.gg. We've got a reel up there. You can check out what we've done um, and feel free to reach out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Angela. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to talk and I've really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. Thank you so much for listening to the Work in Esports podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a follow and let us know who you might want to see next on the podcast. Thanks and see you next time.